bodies carry themselves with a certain ease inside their home, sheltered in enclaves, yet inches from strangers. Strangers who used to tilt their heads for one last sip. Strangers who gathered coats and walked out of Cafe Agora as the day folded, leaving behind the building's residence curled up in glass on the floor above. No strangers can be seen in Agora these days. Only yellow flora and upturned chairs. A wistful display of the social destitution brought on by a virus. Robbed of murmuring crowds of intimacy of new familiar faces, all we could do now was step out for walks then return to windows in walls or windows on screens, caged in with our beating bodies. I grew used to the view of downtown to the north, a patchwork of public and private, stretching into the horizon. Receding sunlight glints on the surface every evening to mark this special time of day. Blink and the city morphs into shadow theatre, holding backlit shapes within. It was on one of those early, uncertain days that I happened to turn from that customary view. I walked to the other window and spotted three figures across the street. They were puttering around in varying states of undress, unaware of their performance in neighbouring light boxes. A new ritual took root inside me, spurred by a visible trio in a city of silhouettes. Dusk reveals tender scenes in new frames, a setting that takes me back to watching ants as a child. I used to crouch low to take in their scuttle, frozen in fascination as trails carve themselves in dust. My preteen stature, too short for delicacies kept out of reach, was large enough to cast an impressive shadow. A charge ran wild inside me, closing circuit as my contour slanted over an entire colony. This whisper of grandness, so early in life, left its mark. Watching ants stamped a strange comfort onto my child mind. I found ways to stay suspended in that zone, drowning out chaos with my fixed gaze, the blaring traffic, my parents' unhappy romance, any portable quarrel muted when I honed in. And so, I became a hobby gazer, peeking from corners to perfect my craft on unsuspecting animals cashiers, mailmen. I studied other gazers at work. They didn't need to hide because they were bestowed with trust. The friendly concierge who monitored hallways at night, nannies who eyed toddlers inching towards the shoreline, teachers who held their breath as we cut out jagged holes. The languid pleasure of watching is granted without question to few benevolent eyes. An hour past sundown, 
all movement has died. My neighbors sit still for the circle of my telescope to do its work. It's time to study them closer. With lights dimmed, I hover over torsos and crop-out surroundings. I note the softness of postures at rest, zooming in on details. Tattoos, chin hair, fingertips, collarbones. Their features awash in the cool light of devices. It's the usual game of tag we play every night. I make my way into their nests from the darkness of my flat. And they elude me by squinting into tight portals of light. I flutter between flats as they stay put like objects. They remind me of a still-life composition, painting in the intangible spirit of our time. Like an orange goblet or vase arranged on fabric, they pin down the wispy image of this era, an age electrified by technology in which we exist together, in anonymous frames. Still-life paintings are also called nature morte, dead nature, as if by capturing an impression, we unwittingly drain any sign of life budding within. Was my gaze doing the same? Flattening these people into representations, hollow and dead? Snow piles into soft forms and melts into uneven rain. I have not wavered, binge-watching content that refreshes in seven-foot-tall windows. There are no crescendos, no cliffhangers. Yet somehow, the narrative propels itself. Even if I manage to get away, the action never stops. I walk past those windows again and again, fighting the swivel of my own head. Their refusal to use curtains only fans my yearning. Real life is nothing like what's shown on television. The actors before me are quite ordinary. They smile into the air when days are good and stare blankly at walls when touched by melancholy. They pluck and prod at their bodies, eat, sleep, play out their secret selves between chores each neighbor is a specimen of the abundance a city holds so tightly in its fists. I call them the architect, the widow, and the student. wetness hung in the air. Leaves eased to the ground as boxes climbed upstairs. The movers inched around corners, confirming my suspicion that the architect and the widow owned their flats above Cafe Agora. The architect lives in unit A to the left and the widow occupies unit B. The student has some sort of arrangement with the owner of Agora. She lives in a den next to the cafe at street level giving me a partial view of her messy abode. She just showed up one day with two suitcases. With the architect and the widow, it's easier to watch. 
their homes sit level with my own. Floor to ceiling windows grant me an unobstructed view, a standing invitation into their mirrored living kitchen and bedroom spaces. Each possession in sight helps me pencil in who they might be, adding color to mere guesswork, conjuring up three vivid protagonists. I mastered the art of watching around the age of 14. Back then, I walked around with a cast of imaginary friends. They were fragments of the kids I went to school with. My invisible playmates joined me in observing the ones they were modeled after. We were scrupulous, surveying freckles, disappointed shrugs, and bracelets rolling down forearms. We mapped what made each person tick. Love, influence, safety, power. I harbored no desire to speak to them. No fly on the wall wants to give up her seat in the shadows. All she prays for is more time to stare long enough for the bliss of companionship to find its way without effort bringing along a soulful synchronicity. Even today, time thins as I entwine and release myself from strangers gliding by. I spend hours inside moments like this because watching makes me weightless, free of my scrawny figure, free from the burdens of expression, free to give myself over. Words get tangled on the tongue, but... Watching demands no speech at all. Most people have no appetite for the mundane. Their frenzied eyes do little but scan, categorizing what's relevant and blurring the rest. Mother, for one, couldn't stand my hobby. She showed up out of nowhere to interrupt me one hot day. Her muffled voice seeped in until my sanctuary was flooded. I didn't want to come up for air. She tapped her watch, locking my gaze on a new target. I was mesmerized by the dots stacked between numbers. Those keyholes on her watch face were a threshold, separating the world on pause and the world on play. I tiptoed into the hollows, careful to resist whiplash, as I made my way back to flowing reality. Her lecture filled the car as I reeled from my trance. I grasped for a nugget of reason in running words, any explanation for why it wounded her to find me like that. How could paying close attention Today, I relish the freedom I craved in those sharp moments. I sip wine under pinhole city stars and allow my eyes to drink whatever they wish. No one is around to nag me or hoist objections. My independence was forged. I've resisted intimacy. I didn't get married and I'll never give birth. I've chosen to be the sole witness to my life, 
to revel in the bittersweet freedom of doing what I want, when I want. And right now, what I truly relish is the live feed playing out across the street. I sketch fictional personas for brands to capture their slippery customer base. My research helps them pitch remedies for specific pain points. You know, bad breath, rusty parts, sticky pants. I wouldn't call it a noble science, but there's a certain joy in the fine-tuned labor of observing people. I enjoy brushing the debris built around the bulk of their psyche. When asked, I dole out a generic description. I study members of our ever-connected tribe. I count blinks, pitch strategies, and guide attention to the next fetish, planted in our garden of dreams. My sardonic comments are usually met with stares and a change of topic. Cynicism was all I could muster when I realized work was an ashen version of what I had imagined. I finished school with wide eyes, armed with a manifesto. My ambition wilted long ago. Can't even claim the compromises along the way were forced. I simply walked off course, hypnotized by metrics and spreadsheets. But I have no right to complain. My passion for watching has found its purpose. I've thrived as a consultant, calibrated myself to observe human behavior and spit out assembled personas. I've been a spectator to this mute drama for weeks. It started as vague proximity, then with lives on display and me, curious from across the street. I peeked to fill the interstices of my evening. Each day came peppered with peculiar habits and eccentricities. Within weeks, my curiosity matured to exert its own demands. I took out time between errands to watch them. I logged on a few minutes late to meetings. There were days I didn't make it out of my flat at all. My movements anchored themselves to the window and I barely wandered from this base. I gave myself over to the slow burn of watching three strangers do nothing at all. Listless browsing is the one thing they have in common. They lock eyes with devices for hours. Too insatiable to blink. Entire evenings are written off like this, wrapped in digital pleasures. At work, we treat each customer segment like a delicacy. We probe for what imparts their characteristic flavor, what keeps them bound. We deduce in the backdrop while focus groups navigate scenarios as if no one is watching. This slide shows how we could relieve some frictions. It might address your dropping subscriptions. Data and foresight are packaged into pastel graphs. The slide deck runs out and my voice drops. I swipe on a practice smile to fend off the crush of silence. My client's shoulders tell me how I've done. Will they soften to show faith in my proposal, or will they perk up to close the space around their ears? I hinge on this moment to gauge their sincerity. 
the suspense lingers until payment arrives. Sometimes they thank me for my service before I've even compiled my research. A tacit message that my research has been co-opted for dark patterns. Most of what we encounter in others is forgotten. I fight against my mortal machinery to record what I can, determined to outpace natural erasure in the comings and goings that add pulse to my days. The widow enters, stage right. She hangs her umbrella and unmasks before her vanity. Who is she when no one is watching? At home, my gaze is unregulated, free to roam and unpack details. The student came in at 3 a.m. last night. I noted the contents of her bag as she emptied it, guessing where she might have been. I did this long after she had fallen asleep with the lights on. The perplexing flow of any river can be broken down, distilled and rooted through glass tubes for observation. The architect leaves in the middle of assembling a sandwich. He sets down the knife and grabs his keys in one smooth action. He speaks urgently into a phone that's wobbling on his shoulder. Disjunct parts of any scene are sure to knit together with time. When breakthrough came, it was visceral. The city saturated with noise as my neighbors circled screens like moths. Typical behavior, until a blackout cut through brightness for blocks around us. I imagined them groping for support. But they stayed where they were, lit up by screens. A new thought dialed up my heartbeat. I rushed to scribble my epiphany on a post-it by candlelight. Technology has already built a plane between us, an open field brimming with what I need. It has been here all along, ready for excavation. I must find a way in. The lights flickered on and sank me back into my body. I turned to the window again. It was a mirror now, reflecting me and my surroundings. It seemed too flat too opaque. The enormity of my decision hit me days later, in the midst of messaging a hacker. The website in our conversation has long been wiped. It exists somewhere in history, but not my own. I didn't expect a man with dainty hands to show up to our meeting. I patted the sum he quoted me in my pocket and I got to the point. I want to watch as they navigate, the buttons they click, the, the words they type, even their hesitant hovering. He planted a pouch of nectar on their devices, warning it may take a while. Each prey must be lured on its own terms. I fretted for weeks as they escaped with sticky goo on their feet. But they always returned for more. Until I made it in. Three screens line my desk now, gorgeous pools of light into which I dive at leisure to peer through the sublime substrate that connects us all. Oh. 
last trips to the loo hint at the toll my hobby is taking. My cheeks, once plump, have sunk into pits. I face a ghost in the vanity held up by a craned neck, an unbecoming shape for a woman at her so-called peak. I pee in the dark to veil these reminders, but the signs keep coming in new forms, stiffening joints, thirsty plants, unanswered emails, unpaid bills, reminders of my slipping away from the world on place sat in every nook of my apartment. A fog engulfs me, molding priorities around my heady state. My hollowing frame actually complements my persona. My friends were bores. Time to take a break from work. The simple truth is this. Watching my neighbors loosens the grip around my sternum. I can't pinpoint when it set up camp inside my chest. But I'm used to its fingers squeezing out sensations that take me by surprise. On the one hand, the thrill of voyeurism, the elation of uncovering a little more, the gush of excitement that secrets bring. On the other, the defeat of isolation, the shame of spying, and yet the compulsion to keep at it. Smoking is my only companion these days, but it too will have to be abandoned. Visits to the corner store tear me away for too long. I've got to get out of here. Even as I scold myself, I know I can't afford to miss a thing. I'm stupefied until the last one has succumbed to sleep. When there is nothing more to observe, I remix scenes from the day. The widow taming a strand of hair. It lay flat for a few seconds, then sprung back to its jagged shape, perpendicular to her crown. Twenty or so tabs lining the architect's browser. They load in parallel every time he restarts, but he never returns to them. The student's fingers scampering to wordless techno music. She reached for the replay button 12 times to override the algorithm. I unlatch from these slices and reminisce about sleep. Think back to when it misted over me. These days my insomnia makes a garbled haze out of my waking life. I toss in bed for hours before giving in and scrolling. I feast on a feed of bikini babes, closets lined with sneakers, tropical patios, and rainbow breakfasts. I once visited the flats that belonged to my neighbors. It was months before they appeared. The smell of paint wafted in from across the street and I found myself walking over. I posed as a mother-to-be with a husband on a business trip. 
When the realtor left me alone, I walked straight into the bedroom to check out the view. My own flat looked back at me, generic and drab, heavy with choices I had already made. Meanwhile, the minted interior I found myself in was echoey, poised for a fresh start, a cheery, undetermined future as depicted in the pamphlet I was handed. Today those interiors are padded with hints of wilderness, the kind that can only exist in the lives of others. Keeping an eye on the sway of culture is crucial in my line of work. I note new lifestyle markers and track trends that arrive out of nowhere, follow memes, celebrities, fads, global emergencies. Any tidbit shared over and over, no matter how inane, could be an insight. Random acts are, after all, satellites to our desires. I apply this logic to my neighbours. Following each purchase, post, comment, text, email, their copy-pastes, hesitations and neuroses light up my brain. Ecstasy and ennui splash through the screen and bead on my skin. I salivate as they cook, commit their acquaintances to memory. I collage snippets collected like this, living in step with them. Several million gestures, gobbled up in passing, swirl inside me in slow motion. You'd catch that swirl in my vacant stare as I do laundry. Processing clothing with actions that don't belong to me. I sort through loads of faces, spaces and utterances, turning them over in my mind's portals until they unify into a swoosh of colour. Later, they get pressed into useless memories with the hiss of steam. Disappointment and relief ebb as I lay with my lifeless phone. I close my eyes to slacken for restless restoration. A giant bubble forms above my supine frame. An oil slick rainbow gleaming on its surface. Then it gets to work, bloating and pushing skinny tubes out of its enclosure. They unfurl, enter my mouth, my ears, my nostrils. My eyes scream in a stare as I register the onset of suction. The painless procedure leaves me full of air, my thoughts sucked out and whisked into fluff. The next morning, I roll over and look up dream interpretation to find myself in bed with Carl Jung smoking his pipe. He coined the term collective unconscious, describing in effect an ancient cloud service for humanity. How else could intuitions be transmitted over generations? We run dreams to collate inputs, to project onto ancestral imprints, and return to factory settings. In turn, they mark us with specks from the lives of others. Our desires, fed by these ephemeral membranes that are designed to escape surveillance. Heck, they even escape reason. 
I imagine that monster bubble toiling over sleeping bodies around the world. A humble custodian vacuuming scraps of code we've iterated with wetware inside our bodies. My paper tongue sends me teetering into the kitchen. Once there, I squint at pixelated backsplash. The tube light buzzes in its inhumane tone over my resting hand. It is all veins and discoloration in sterile lighting. I've been meaning to install a dimmer. The repair never makes it to the top of my to-dos because I can always escape the prick of clarity. So I flee once again to set down my glass in the darkened bedroom, lying down to dome palms over my eyes. If anyone finds out what I'm doing, they'd be sickened. Pleasure has a way of taking over when I stop to consider what I'm doing. It calls up intricate details from their lives and busies me in solving my pet puzzle. There are no more walls to rest on after the hack. I submerge on command, floating among their delicate shapes. My refuge from judgment comes in the form of a girl who once towered over splendid creatures. I plunge to pull away from the shores, withholding, dizzing atop waves of gratification, and when they crash, I sail belly up in the sun. My adventures take on different hues, but they all end the same way. I emerge from the pool of water, quenched, a woman capable of dismantling obsession with excess. I weigh my bank account in the eyes of my younger self. This is what I want to do with my life. My compass swerves as I deliver fixes to minor irritations. Between clickbait and engagement metrics, there are buttons to distract and notifications to hook and capture. I see myself for what I truly am, a tentacle of an industry that drowns us in a soup of choices. I'm autonomous, set on paddling upstream, but I cannot slip or the tide may give me over to unwanted shores. I find peace in admitting that I solve nothing of great concern. Work to live, not live to work, as they say. We will all be replaced quite soon, they also say. The characters before me are trapped in the same orbit, each following the conventions of a product's life cycle. The student is at the stage before realizing her full potential. There is ample room for speculation, for growth and iteration. Her narrative is playful. It blooms within an evolving reality. The architect grapples with grief at the summit of performance. It is slippery at the top and change looms on the horizon. The only way forward is down. The widow has lived through her glory. She carries on splintered and frail. 
Her wisdom outsourced to new models as she cruises into the night, powered by nostalgia. We're all hitched to a seductive engine that drags us out of frame. Understanding my neighbors has morphed into a chore. It is akin to mapping smoke from an incense stick. My mind runs fractured deductions day in and day out. I recognize who they are when they find themselves alone. When associations are free, unencumbered by reason. But I cannot draft a precise persona for them because their nature unspools and knots in with mine. I root myself by colouring them with tropes peddled in books, ads and films. All this does is generate absurd mashups that don't stand up to my own scrutiny. Next, I try penning odd, discreet gestures. Anything out of the ordinary. My cluttered notebook doesn't bring me any closer to forecasting their actions. I can hardly keep up with the influx of information. Each passing day, I grow shackled by the riddle I've invented, while they defy categorization. An algorithm would sift through their details in parallel. It would weigh each action, reaction, hesitation, and revulsion in seconds, sort strings of actions that paralyze me, and lay out a telling narrative. I contemplate this with my insufficient processor as my forehead grows heavy. It rests on the window, clouding its flawless transparency. I pull back to face the oily stain of an animal. My chest puffs out air to remind me that I exist, an accordion of flesh and bone with measurable volumes of air coming in and out, almost in, almost out. Sinuous motions of my body butt up against the clicks set off by my fingertips. There is no almost between zero and one, but waves and clicks coexist somehow, fusing skin and machine, my choices and those of others like me. Shadows skirt the luminescent wells I lap from. Still, I keep attempting the tightrope of objectivity toppling again and again as the mechanical gaze shudders through me. My heart sputters to data coursing in. I creep through the digital refuse, recognizing the widow's fear of the virus, the student's reflex to send an emoji, the architect's frustration with exercising, a strange affinity has opened its umbrella over us, cooling the sun of rationality. The neighbors have become my phantom limbs, foreign yet integral, detached sights of my emotional terrain. I wish I could twist a dial to kill my empathy. Such features are out of reach for creatures of imperfect code. So I dive into the rapids of incoming data to escape this shortcoming, mixing tears with the gush. In due time, I swim outward to 
taken the hypnotic net suspended around us, savoring the underwater dance, powered by its resting potential. It could tighten at any time, lumping us all into a flailing, opaque mass. My fingers jitter as the widow passes me on the street. She is far down the block by the time I permit myself to give her a nod. I'm forced to walk on, bruised with yearning. Turns out, there's a shelf life to nuzzling in the details of others. I hadn't realized as a child that ambient intimacy eventually reveals sores you carry alone. The osmosis between my neighbors and my screens has cut through glass and concrete. Yet an urge to connect keeps tugging at me from deep within. I find myself in an interminable loop. Wake up, browse, chug data, and pass out. A circadian rhythm designed to erase time. It mutes my senses into accepting any combination of action and reward. The only people I interact with are delivery men. They show up at my door and smile on cue. The other day, I invited one in. I retreated to fetch my card, leaving him at the entrance. He clutched his sweater, scanning the post-its that dotted my flat. I tried making conversation when I got back, flirting and offering an explanation for the mess. He, in turn, fumbled through the transaction and raced down the hall. Last night... I dreamt that I drowned in familiar faces. My eyes darted wildly to spot a new face. But there were none. I searched and searched until I discovered that I was dead. Trapped in a closed pond. Surrounded by morsels regurgitated from memory. That generator prison produced enough despair to wake me. I sulked in daylight, watching strangers cross the street, little packages of hurt and drive, marching to their own agendas. I waved at one of them to check if reality was still on play. He stopped and waved back, a welcome sign that novelty had not yet been exercised. I step into slanted sunlight and crank the window open to hear the flourish of passing conversation. myself at Cafe Agora, quiet, but peppered in with others, beings floating in and out of obscurity without the slightest idea how we came to be like this. Since then, my broken human logic has been restored. I let the rope slip and the analysis grow murky. My instinct to categorize fell away and my neighbors stayed raw. Perhaps they were incomprehensible. I unplugged the three screens later that day. But inadequacies still linger inside me and sting from time to time. Especially when the routine checkbox pops up to confirm my condition. I am not a robot.